Think for a moment about the kind of love that you want in your life. Think for a moment about the kind of love that you need. You may say, well, I don't need love. Well, you know you're wrong if you say that. (laughs) I don't have to argue that point with you. You know deep down that you're wrong if you're saying that this morning. All of us need love. What kind of love do you need, though? What does that love look like? What does it feel like? Some of you have been loved well throughout your life. If you have, give thanks to God. If you have, please remember, though, that for you there is always a temptation to take love for granted. In contrast, some of you have been loved poorly or have not been loved at all. For you, there is always the temptation to doubt that you could or should be loved by anyone. This morning, God wants to reveal to you or remind you of something astonishing. And it has to do with love. Are you interested in learning more? Okay, how does this sound? Take a look on the screen. The kind of love that you need most is wonderfully and only available from the one who already loves you best. The kind of love you need most is wonderfully and only available from the one who already loves you best. Let's see how God's word to us this morning reveals, supports, undergirds, inspires that very truth. Turn over, if you haven't already, to a passage from our Bible reading plan this past week, 1 John chapter 3. Now, there's a lot I could tell you about this letter we call 1 John. Some of those things we'll touch on. We don't have the time to dig in. I pray that it was a blessing to you to be able to read through all of those, uh, those five chapters as well as 2 John and 3 John, those teeny tiny little books <laughs> afterwards. Uh, I pray that was a blessing to you. If you want to know more about 1 John, go to our website, click on audio, search by series, and you'll see a series called Signs of Life. And I've got four messages there that really give you a good overview uh, of the point of 1 John. But I'd like to begin this morning by getting straight to our main text. So look with me at the first line of 1 John chapter 3, the first half of verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. What should we do with a statement like that? Many of you know that verse. You've heard it before, right? It may be, it, it may be emblazoned on a plaque above your toilet. I don't know. 
right? It's there. You've heard it before. It's well known. What do we do with a statement like that, though? What do you do personally with a statement like that? How do you receive it? How do you hear it? Now, I think we should do two things this morning, two things that we always want to do with God's Word. First, we want to make sure we understand what is being said here. And second, we want to wrestle with how what's being revealed to us should change us. What's being said and how should it change us? So in regard to that first goal, what's being said, we discover several key ideas when we consider this verse in the context here. 1 John chapter 3, chapter 2, context of the entire book, we discover several key ideas. The first of those ideas comes, direct, comes directly from the verse itself. John is writing to his readers about what? He's writing to them about a kind of love. You see that? A specific kind of love. That's what he's, he's, he's writing to them about. And the word used here in the original language is the same word found in other places throughout Scripture. We know it's exactly what it means, this kind. Matthew 8, 27, we read about the disciples who now in the still boat on the now calm lake ask, what sort, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? We know what this word this means because it was used. It's the same word used to describe Mary's inner question when the angel Gabriel visited her while she was still unmarried. Luke one twenty nine. She tried to discern what sort, what kind of greeting this might be. And it's the same word Luke uses again in 739 where we read about how a Pharisee hosting Jesus for a meal was sure that if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort, what kind of woman it was who was touching him. Kind. What kind of love is this? What sort of love is is the Apostle John talking about here in 1 John 3, 1? Well, the answer's clear. It's not a mystery, is it? All you have to do is read the verse. It's fatherly love. It's parental love. That is, it's love given by a father with the result being that we are now called his children. Isn't that the kind of love that it is? That's the kind of love that it is. But it's even bigger and better than that. Look again. It's love given by not just any father. It's love given by a heavenly father, capital F. With the result that we are now called children of God. Now let me point something out to you here. There seems to be something going on in this church to whom John is writing, to which John is writing, some idea in this church that's being disseminated, that's being discussed, that's being believed by some, some idea that would limit this truth about this kind of love, this love that calls us children of the Father. 
We don't know it because it's explicitly made known. We know it because it seems to be John addressing it. Reading between the lines, we sense that there's something he's speaking about here that he's trying to contain. He's trying to reverse. He's trying to undo. And the first clue that we have uh, points to the presence of this limiting lie in the church is the qualification that John adds to his opening statement in verse 1. Look again at verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And what is John sure to add? And so we are. And so we are. That is, we are not simply called God's children. We really are God's children. In many places in his writings, the Apostle Paul also talks about being children of God. Maybe a verse comes to mind or a passage comes to mind where he talks about that. But Paul was usually writing to a Greco-Roman audience and he would often use the language of adoption to describe that connection. But please don't miss the fact that John is not talking about adoption here. He's not telling his readers that God calls you his children even though you really aren't his children. He's not saying that, is he? No, John is talking about new birth. New birth. How do we know that? Look at the verses right before and after our main verse. Look at John 2.29. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been what? Born of Him. That's not adoption. You're born of God. Born of Him, says John. That word born is used ten times in this very short letter it's a pervasive theme it's always there and it's usually used in the phrase born of god in most instances born of god believers born of god and john even repeats this point if you go after our main text look at chapter 3 verse 2 what does he say beloved we are god's children now Right now. Do you see the emphasis? And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. So let's stop and step back for a moment. Toward what kind of love is John directing our attention? Toward what kind of love is he pointing us? Love given by a heavenly Father with the result being that we are now called His children, children of God. Called that because that is exactly what we are. By grace, born again. By grace, born into God's family. By grace, born from above for a new divine destiny. Linger there, brothers and sisters. Linger there for a moment. 
please don't be too quick to file this away in the folder, things I already know. Don't do that. Do your very best right now to consider and appreciate using Paul's words from Ephesians 3, appreciate and consider what is the breadth and length and height and depth of this kind of begetting love. This kind of life-giving love. This identity-bestowing love. This family-forming love. This child-nurturing, child-protecting. This I-will-never-leave-you love. for you. There are different kinds of love, aren't there? We know this. We know someone who says, I love NASCAR, or I love peanut butter, or I love Harry Styles, or I love the way that you do your hair. We know that's different from a friend or a grandma or a husband who says, I love you. We know that. We understand that. We know brotherly love and romantic love and platonic love are all distinct kinds of love, but even the world knows that there is something different about the love of a parent. I know you're scared right now that your mom and I are going through a hard time. I know you're struggling with that. But nothing will ever change the fact that you are my child and I will always be here for you. That's the kind of love that even secular parenting classes and coaches call unconditional. I hope that you had or have that kind of unconditional love from your mom and dad and or dad. And I'm very, very sorry if you did not or do not. But here's that astonishing news again. The kind of love that you need most is wonderfully and only available from the one who already loves you best. Think about it. Only God can give you love that is truly, that is exhaustively, that is consistently, and that is eternally unconditional. Amen? You may say, well, I have unconditional love in my life. You do not like this. Be thankful for unconditional love that you have in your life. But only God will give you exhaustively, consistently, truly, eternally unconditional love. There's no impurity in that love. There's no imperfection in that love. God isn't tired of loving you. He never knows, I'm sorry, He's never confused or befuddled. He always knows the right way and the best way to love you without condition. 
See what kind of love the Father has given to us. But look at this. Look at verse 1 again. There's something else here in verse 1 that we need to grapple with. Look at the second half of that verse. What's the second statement in verse 1? It says, The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Now, wait a minute. Is that, did I read that right? The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. That's kind of a bizarre ending. I mean, that's kind of like a bizarre thing to add to such a quotable, such a retweetable statement like that first opening sentence. That first one's really good, right? Like, oh, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to put that on my Bible cover or whatever. I mean, this is going to be my life verse. 1 John 3, 1, A. But then like, what's this? What's this on the back end of it? What's this weird statement about the world? What in the world does the world have to do with this child begetting, this family forming, this truly unconditional love of God? Well, notice the exact wording here. John wants his readers to understand, and God wants us this morning to understand what? Why the world does not know us. That is, why doesn't the world recognize us? Well, wait a minute. Recognize us as what? As children of the living God. As sons and daughters of the divine. Why doesn't it recognize us as such? Why doesn't it acknowledge our status, our heavenly status, our divine status? Okay, wait a minute. If the world does not recognize us as sons and daughters of God, how does the world see us? We'll drop down to verse 13. Take a look. What does it say in verse 13? Do not be surprised, brothers, that what? The world hates you. Oh, wow. That's rough. All of a sudden, we go to verse 13. The world hates you. You want to know how the world sees you? The world hates you. The world hates you. There it is. And that I, believe, that, I believe, is the second clue pointing us to the influence of this limiting lie within the church. It seems that some of the disciples in this faith family were not only concerned about how the world saw them, but they were actually surprised by the world's opposition to and condemnation of believers. Don't they know who we are? Don't they know who we know? Why do they treat us like this? They're, 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 really, they're really confused about this, why they're being persecuted, why they're being opposed, why they're being condemned. It seems like someone in this church was persuading them to believe that this opposition and this condemnation from the world was an indication they were doing something wrong. And that maybe the answer to, the solution to that was to dial back the holiness and dial up the worldliness. Let's stop being so weird and religious, right? Let's be more like the world. Let's, let's kind of do what everybody else is doing. But as John reminds them here, you are hated because the one you belong to was hated first. That's why. 
And so the opposition and condemnation that you are receiving is a spiritual affirmation that you are in Christ, that you truly belong to God. Let that rub, let that friction be an encouragement to you. As Peter will say, as you'll see this week in your reading, let the person who suffers under the name Christian know that he or she is blessed to suffer because of that name. This morning, sorry, this moral, spiritual friction between the believer and the world is also evident in a final element I'd like you to consider here in terms of the context. Notice the theme that's bracketing our main verse in chapter 3, verse 1. Notice there's a theme bracketing this, and we see it in the brackets are 228, and then the end bracket is 3, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. So 228, top of the hamburger bun, right? Bottom of the hamburger bun is chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. And sandwiched in between is our main text, chapter 3, verse 1. Look at that theme. Do you, see the, do you see the common element there? Actually, let me just read that entire portion with a special emphasis on the beginning and end. Paul, uh, John says this, chapter 2, verse 28 of 1 John. And now, little children... Abide in Him so that when He appears we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But, 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 we, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. Did you see the, the bracket, the common theme? It's the second coming of Jesus. It's the return of Jesus. That's what's bracketing this. That's where this whole conversation is coming from. It's coming out of this idea. Paul starts with it, and he's returning to it at the end. And our verse, our main text in 3.1, is right there in the middle of it. It's the fruit of this conversation right? I know you want to cherry pick it right out of there and put it on your wall plaque or coffee mug or whatever, right? But no, it's right here in the midst of this conversation about the second coming of Jesus. What, is his what does the return of Christ have to do with this God's child begetting, family forming, un truly unconditional love for you? My best guess is this. That limiting lie that was circulating in this church, that limiting lie that John is addressing, that limiting lie that was at work, I believe was a lie that pushed our identity as God's children out of the present and into the future. These teachers or whoever were probably saying, oh, well, you're not God's children yet, right? 
down there a ways in the future, you'll be God's children. Everything will be such and such. Right now, it doesn't really matter what you do with yourself. Right now, everything's just, just do, live your life. Just do whatever you want. Do what feels good. Just do it, as Nike says. Right? Just do it. That seems to be the thought process here that John is addressing. So in pushing the, our identity as children of God out of the present and into the future, what happened is it changes the equation concerning how we are to live in the world today. That's why I'm bringing this out, because I want you to see that what I'm telling you about God's love for you and the kind of love that he has for you, what I'm telling you about that is not simply to make your heart warm. It's to change the way that you live. It's to radically affect your lifestyle. It's to shape who you are every single day. That's what John's getting at here. You see, John will go on to argue that if we are God's children today, and we are, exclamation point, we are God's children today, right now, then we are called to a family resemblance today. For those who have a righteous father, 229, practice righteousness. For those whose father is love, they love others. Don't tell me that you belong to Christ and you have no love for others. You have no love for your brothers or sisters. What Jesus did for us because of his sacrifice because of the grace of God we now have heavenly DNA in us we love because he first loved us because we are born of God we're like our father perfectly no John even starts the whole letter that way the one that says he has no sin is a liar and the truth is not in him but if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. Look at 2.1. He goes right back into that again. Right? If we say we have no sin or if, we, if anyone does sin, he says, if anyone does sin, they should know that they have an, we have an advocate with the Father. John's not this kind of Pollyanna of righteousness here. He understands that this church is, can struggle with sin. He's talking about what characterizes the pattern of your life. What characterizes your thought processes, the priorities of your life, the course, the direction, the lifestyle. If it's devoid of love and it's devoid of righteousness, you don't belong to the Father. You simply don't. Notice how John is honest with them here about what the future holds. That limiting lie, they were talking about the future. Verse 2, what we will be has not yet appeared. John is saying, I don't know exactly how we're going to be in the future. I can't tell you. I can't explain that to you, the glorified state in the presence of God the resurrection body, that glorified eternal state. I can't tell you all that. I don't know. It's not clear. But what is crystal clear about our future state is that we will be like Jesus. 
more fully then than we could ever be now in this life. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. But notice how John even brings it back and says that future transformation, that transformation to come also produces transformation right now in the present. Everyone who thus hopes in him, present tense, purifies himself, present tense, as he is pure. John does not want them to disconnect the present from the future or the future from the present. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. They need to stay together. Christ is coming and what we will be has not yet appeared. But I can tell you this, we'll be like him. But guess what? When you hope in him for that change, it begins to change you right now. It begins to change you in the present, in that moment. You become more like Christ because of that. Why, why is any of this possible? Because you're a child of God, born of God. Your identity as a child of God is a present reality, one that should radically alter both your perspective and your practice. John goes on to emphasize this connection between identity and practice. Just a few verses later in chapter 3, verse 10, look what it says. By this, that is your lifestyle, your choices, the orientation of your life, the focus of your life, your priorities, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are are the children of the devil. Oof, that's serious. That's serious language, isn't it? When you hear people in the world say, we need to love one another as human beings, we absolutely do. We're all made in the image of God, aren't we? Brothers and sisters, in that sense, but that's never an idea that Scripture doesn't use that language. We're all, we're all not children of God, are we? Jesus was very clear. There are children of God and children of the devil. That's the reality of it. So don't call someone a child of God who's not a believer. They're not a child of God. They're a child of the devil. God is the father of all spirits, as the book of Hebrews says. But we confuse the issue and we, we in, maybe inoculate people a little bit if we start using that language of we're all just God's children. No, we're not all God's children. We're all enemies of God and hostile against God until Christ who died for his enemies transforms us that we would be born again. Children of God, children of the devil. Uh, friends, look at this. One of the distinct features you probably noticed as you were reading through John, you probably noticed it in the past, but maybe it came back to you again when you were reading through it. One of the distinct features of John's letters is the way he affectionately refers to his readers. He not only calls them beloved, right? Beloved. And there's some great Bible teachers over the years who've, always, who've picked that up. K. Arthur does that, doesn't she? Yeah, K. Arthur does that. Uh, others do that as well. They say beloved, kind of, I think, inspired by John here. But the other way that he does more often, the way he refers to his readers is what? My little children. My little children. 
It's there in 2-1 is the first place, and we heard it in our passage as well. My little children. He uses the language six more times throughout his letter. After, after two, chapter 2, verse 1, he uses it six more times, a total of seven times. You see, like the other apostles, John was not only used, used by God to help lead these men and women to new life, but he was also called to care for them as a spiritual father position over the household of God. But when he gets to 3-1, when he arrives at that first verse of chapter 3, he wants to make absolutely sure for his readers that they understand their ultimate identity is not as his spiritual children, but as God's. He wants to make that crystal clear to them. The question is, do you understand that this morning? Do you understand that this morning? Is that the air you breathe? Is that the water in which you swim? Is that the fuel that powers you forward? Whether this concept is is new to you or not, please don't miss the very first word of our main verse. Look at that first word in the ESV. It's a directive, isn't it? It's an imperative It's John saying what? He's saying, see, look, behold, open your eyes, don't miss this. Don't miss the kind of love the Father has given to us. Do you understand this morning that you were made to be loved? Do you understand that you were made to be loved? All of us were. Some of you absolutely know this to be true, but you are so often tempted to settle for other kinds of love or you're tempted to exaggerate other kinds of love and the place that they have in your life, the need that you have for them. And others of you, if you're honest with yourself, you've come to resent the fact that you were made to be loved because you haven't been. And now the truth is you're guarding your heart from every kind of love. Brothers and sisters, friends, wherever you are this morning, do you hear the voice of the living God speaking to you? Speaking to you even now through what John wrote back then. He's revealing to you or maybe reminding you that this is the kind of love that you need most. All of us need this kind of love. The love that the Father has given to us. It's made available to us. The love that makes us His children forever and ever and ever and ever. But John is writing to who? To believers. John is writing to believers. So so this is key. To see, to look, to behold this kind of love should be heard as a daily directive. A daily directive. Why is that? Because you know as well as I do that we too easily look away. 
we don't see because we're looking somewhere else. Right? Our face is buried in something else. Right? We're just, we're somewhere else. We're not looking. We're not hearing this directive, this imperative. Either we know of this love, but we don't experience it, or we haven't truly grasped the extent of God's love, or we judge this love in the moment to be inferior to some other kind of love that we want. And in light of what we've learned this morning, we know that not seeing not gazing, not beholding this love on a regular basis has moral implications. It impacts us. It changes the way that we live. What we want, what we pursue, what we crave, what we'll do to get it. It affects not only our lives, but it affects our witness to a world who will either accept or reject us if we know the secret code, the secret handshake of sin that says you're one of us. We need to see. We need to see what might you do this week, brother, sister? What might you do this week or even now? What might you do throughout this day to see? To regularly look to behold, to gaze upon, to feast your eyes on the kind of love the Father has given to us. Don't settle. See. Don't settle. See. Look. Help each other look. And receive. Receive that love. The kind of love you need most is wonderfully and only available from the one who already loves you best. What an astonishing truth. Now, you might be asking yourself, as you're sitting there listening to me, you may be asking yourself, Pastor, how could I really be a child of God? How could I really be a child of God? I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know how others think of me. I know it's been done to me. I know what happened to me. I know where I've been. I know how I hurt. I know my mistakes, my failures. I know my sin. How could I really be a child of God? The wonderful truth is that God knows all that you know and even more. He understands it. He knows you, and he knows me. And the answer he gives to your question, and when anyone, any of us question this, the answer he gives is provided in this letter. In the very next chapter, John explains the answer. He says this. Take a look. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. This is that kind of love. We're not talking about different love. This is the kind of love that we're talking about in chapter 3, verse 1. This is the love of God. How was the love of God seen among us, manifest, demonstrated, expressed among us? That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Not that we might earn that life. 
not that we might climb a ladder up to that life, but that we might live through him. He expands on this. In this is love, not that we have loved God. Again, not merit, not anything you've done, not your performance, not what you could earn, not because you're an all-around great guy or great gal, right? You're just really cool and like you're, you're just spiritually in tune and so you're very loving because you're spiritually in tune. You're like, oh, yeah, like no, that's not it. He's saying, no, 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 that's not it at all. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the wrath satisfying sacrifice for our sins. But pastor, I'm a sinner. Guess what? God knows that. Guess what? God took care of that. He sent his son to cover your sin. He sent his son to die for your sin. His blood purifies us from all unrighteousness, amen? It cleanses us. It purifies us so that you can be a child of God. You see, it's not up to you. The fact that I could be, that you could be a child of God is only possible because of Jesus. As John wrote this, he wrote this about Jesus in the opening chapter of his gospel. Listen to this verse. Talk about a wrap-up. Here it is. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive the word who did receive the word capital W, that is Jesus. All who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave you that right to become a child of God. You didn't earn that. You don't measure up to that. You don't step up and say, I'd like to apply to be a candidate to be a child of God. No, it doesn't happen that way, not at all. It's God at work. He gave the right, Jesus did, to become children of God who were born of God, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God gave you new birth. God gives you new life. It's not about you measuring up, earning it, being worthy except even now, and let's remind each other of the fact that none of us are. You never were worthy, you are not worthy now, and you never will be worthy of God's love. You never were worthy, you never are, you are not right now, and you never will be worthy of the name child of God, the reality of being his child. All the worth is in Jesus Christ. It all belongs to Him. And so this morning we need to pray for eyes to see, <laughs> to see regularly, to behold, to feast our eyes, the eyes of our heart on this amazing kind of love, the love of the Father, and, and pray for hearts to receive Jesus, the one who is coming again and guess what he's going to do when he comes again he's going to bring us home he's going to bring us home into the arms of our father amen amen, amen. let's pray and give thanks to god